Bench Racing Radio. Bench Racing Radio. The podcast with your hosts, Eric Gio and Anthony Leake. Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Bench Racing Radio, episode three. It's your hosts, Eric Gio and Anthony Leake. How are you doing this week, Anthony? Well, it's another week, and that's all that matters in the end. It makes me pretty happy to be on board with you on this podcast episode number three already can you believe it time flies buddy time flies yeah i guess as far as uh racing news lately seeing the announcement this week for the uh, bristol dirt nationals have you seen this stuff it's crazy yeah i have bristol motor speedway dirt nationals i remember they announced it to be about two weeks ago two three weeks ago they announced it that they were planning to do this you know time flies two three weeks ago as of this recording <laughs> so we've recorded this at the end of december yeah uh i'm looking forward to it i mean i know they did this in the early 2000s i've watched some of the youtube videos from the late models and the sprint cars back then and i'm sure they've learned some lessons from back then to do this uh all over and uh, i looked at the what did they say for for the week before for the this the open late models and all that huge numbers like 1200 cars or something like that amongst the six six seven oh yeah yeah like the dirt nationals where they're bringing in a bunch of different cars uh they've got over 1225 cars registered already and they've got 375 more on a waiting list it's wild like look at these numbers so they've got right now as of yesterday they had 94 super late models registered for the uh, the 50,000 to win feature but they've got two different classes to create late models which we'll get into that in a second they've got open mods mods sport modifieds IMCA stock cars and hornets and these guys are all going to be racing around the, the half mile which is uh, it, it's pretty crazy I understand they're taking the banking down from 35 or 36 degrees or whatever it is down to 18 degrees so they're adding a lot of dirt in at the bottom and, and making it uh, not quite so crazy i think it's 18 yeah and i think the reason for that was because they had uh rear axle issues and tire problems with the late models especially in the, the year 2000 there i was just watching some of that video the other day and um, that was one of the comments actually in the broadcast was that the tire issues on the right rear were, were significant enough where they actually, you know, did competition cautions so that they could change the tire so it wouldn't explode or rip off uh, while they're going the top speeds. Yeah, I actually saw a good post from, uh, you know, former NASCAR driver, uh, David Rudiman. You know, he's in the modified game now. And uh, there was this whole post where he was imploring the drivers who are coming to check this out that they needed to make sure that everything was like top notch on their car and a whole bunch of stuff that you couldn't be running lightweight parts and you had to go heavier than you normally would and it was this whole long list of stuff that he just knows from his experience of running that place that uh he knows the way they built the cars now they totally wouldn't hold up it was uh it was pretty interesting well, absolutely. Yeah. In 20 years, I mean, you think of how much, you know, we, when we talked to Rick last episode about how much the sport has changed technology wise. And, you know, you watch those cars from the early 2000s, the late models. I mean, they're pretty flat. They're not jacked up like they are today. Um, and so you kind of look at it one way. You're just like, well, you know what? Back then they didn't really have the tech to be able to make the proper adjustments depending on the speed of the track or the track condition as they do now. But like, you know, David Rudiman says you know like there's a lot more you know lighter weight parts parts that might break a little bit more easier sure you can you have so much more flex and ability in that suspension but you know some of these parts aren't made of the same type of heavy you know metal that they're used to be they're they're lighter they might have different type of composites in them yeah absolutely so you know all that innovation that's gone on in, over the years that they definitely got to factor that in too when they're prepping a car for this show but yeah it's going to be wild i mean that blows the IMC and IMCA Super Nationals out of the water like completely. I think the record they had for cars in one year was a little over 900. They're just blowing the doors off of that. It's a massive event. I, I don't know exactly how they're going to play it out, who's racing on what days. and like At the Super Nationals, it's so crazy. Basically, if you don't win your heat, you are not getting a spot in the feature. That's it. Like it's It's insane how hard it is to qualify for any of these shows. But uh, it'll definitely be one to remember for sure. I'll, I know I'll be tuning in. Yeah, and I know there was some discussion about uh, that I've saw on social media about the the four cylinders. And I, I, as far as I know, it's the SCDRA that's running that. And apparently these aren't our local type of four cylinders. I think they're similar to the, I know the Perdonics have, have 
souped up car that uh, that's a four cylinder that can do I don't know how many miles an hour. There was a cl- clip of it at Red River Coast Speedway there in September, and so it's that type of four cylinder, like a really souped up, fast type of four cylinder, not a you know under 300 torque horsepower type of thing like these are not you know little four bangers putting around at 50 miles an hour they're going to get some good clip on that track yeah no those things will be uh pretty quick like i know that the class i was big down there a while ago was the mustang mini stocks which is basically Mm -hmm. that they're four cylinders but you could buy every single part on those cars as a full racing part already so they were uh, they were pretty advanced considering they were technically still four cylinders but yeah, I'm sure they'll be a good addition to the show, and that's that's an awesome thing to give those guys something to uh, to go out there and run for. You know, that's going to be a massive, massive race for them. So that that should be cool. It really helps to put the eyes on that that level of of the sport too. You know, as as the, as oval racing evolves, whether it's asphalt or or on dirt, you know, it's nice to see these classes that might not get the same level of coverage uh in the especially in the United States at this more broad general range. So I think that for to add that class to the dirt nationals, I think is, is shows where that, that class has really grown over the last several years. I'd probably say even within the last five years. Um, but to get more on a national stage, I think is essential for the longevity and, and sustainability of the sport. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's no harm done by it really. It's uh, no shows, shows people that there is an entry level to the sport. It's not just jump into a, the super late model and yeah i don't know have you ever heard about that having two different classes of crate late models they have the the 602 crates and the 604s i that's that's news to me it doesn't surprise me i mean if you think about the 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 regionality if that's a word of the united states in terms of of, of classes and rule packages i mean you know what we look at in the in the east at the east in the east coast or southern ontario for that matter with you know big block modifieds you know, the 358s you know and and what we have here is not something they necessarily run it a lot of racetracks in Southern Ontario or on the East coast. So it doesn't surprise me to see different versions of crate any class, um, whether yeah. it's a crate 602 and they run a limited suspension or a crate 602 with an open suspension, or, you know what I mean? Like there's just so many combinations. And then when you, you regionalize the United States, um, it doesn't, it doesn't come to any surprise for me. I mean, we're limited in terms of what we do around this area. Cause we're trying to be consistent with each other. We don't want to have 20 classes, you know, amongst 50 tracks or 40 tracks or whatever the number might be within this radius. Um, but you know, you go to some places and that have large populations, um, that have a large following and you're going to see varieties of different classes. So it doesn't necessarily shock me because of that diversity that exists in the sport. Although I am kind of surprised that they would add both these options into the dirt nationals, because really what kind of difference are you going to see other than a different crew of drivers? Uh, I just do feel in a way it's kind of a, a field filler for the event. Yeah. I imagine those won't run on the same night. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's probably yeah. true too. Of course. Yeah. But- but I'm just I'm just saying in terms of you know thinking that the I mean would it make more sense in terms of the numbers having you know two different classes that are essentially almost the same um, when you could maybe split it into two days worth of racing amongst those of just one class I don't know I don't know what the answer is or what went through their minds and I'm not going to try to speak for them but I do find it interesting how you know those two classes they're probably fairly close to each other um, and but both being included mm-hmm. no definitely but. Either way, I mean, they've got over 150 cars in each class. Exactly. Uh, all vying to, to try and get that top spot. That's going to be quite the show. All the power to the promoters for pulling that off, and uh, I hope it, it goes off as uh, as smoothly as it started here. It really started with a bang with that registration. So. Absolutely, and I have no complaints about two different crate classes that have 150 cars in each one. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to complain about that. It's just I find it interesting to see, to see that decision there. Um, with that type of you know close between the the real packages but i think it's worthwhile when you have that many cars showing up 100 percent. all right anything else you wanted to uh chat about here before we get rolling well i think uh it's been somewhat interesting weather over the last little while and uh we all know covid continues to wreak havoc on all of our lives and uh you know we haven't had any sled racing going on uh cptc uh, had to cancel their event in early December. 
and who knows what it's going to look like in March. I really hope things are going to improve over the next six weeks or so. Uh, I know for in, in Kenora here that the stay in Kenora 100, you know, we don't know with the, the restrictions, what's going to happen over the next five to six weeks. Um, and the other big issue we have right now, we barely have six inches of snow out this way. I know you've had a few dumps in Manitoba in certain areas, um, but we need at least a foot, if not a little bit more to even consider having our event, because otherwise these, <laughs> these snow machines will be racing on the actual clay surface. Yeah. Um, if we don't get some snow, uh, because we do have to pack it in and groom it, get it all ready to go as well. And you're going to lose a few inches there. So, uh, they've been canceling sled racing throughout the United States. I know there are one or two that are still planning to happen later, uh, in the winter towards end of February into March. And who knows what the United States is a very different beast than, than us in Canada, but the majority of events in Canada have been canceled. Quebec has canceled a few as well. And uh, yeah, it's not looking good for, for this winter at all. Mm, yeah, that's not good. Hopefully that turns around for you guys and we can get some snow and, and with the COVID restrictions, you can uh, you can get that race in there in February. I haven't been out there yet for, for one, but uh, it seems like it's a pretty cool cool race to put on there. It's it's really been gaining a lot of popularity and, and you know, to go from five sleds to 17 in, in just a few races, uh, a few years, uh, and then our twins to go from two to eleven in one one year. Um, I think it it speaks volumes for what uh, uh, what the drivers really like and the the word that goes around and and the fun. It really is fun. I mean, it's the most simplest way to get out there on on some of these old sleds and just kind of yeah, sure they're not doing a hundred and hundred miles an hour like they do at CPTC, but the smile on these drivers' right. faces and their crews, it's. Uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. There's a lot of smiles, even even if it's been a rough day on the racetrack, bouncing around. Everyone just, uh, yeah, yeah. I really like it. All right. Well, I guess without much further ado, we'll uh, we'll get to our guest here. Today's guest is Austin Hunter. Yeah, this was a really great interview. Uh, looking forward to showing it to you guys here. Well, folks, our next guest on Bench Racing Radio is the owner of 94 feature wins, two of those races being John Seitz Memorial uh, feature wins. Uh, this guy's finished in the top 10 in Wissota points five times, the high of second in 2019. He's picked up 11 track championships and six Canadian region Midwest mod championships. Welcome to the podcast, our guest, Austin Hunter, the number 44. How's it going, Austin? It's good. It's going okay. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. How's uh, how's the COVID times been treating you? Uh, it's going as good as can be. We're just hanging low, just putting together a car at the shop right now, and just not much we can do afterward. But so we're just been taking our time putting this car together for next year. Is that a new chassis for next year? Yes, yes. This one hasn't seen the the track yet, so we just we got it at probably around springtime last year. And we were just so busy. We were already into our race season when we got it. We never got a chance to really put it together. So now we're putting it together, and hopefully we can get it to some more races next year. Yeah, for sure. Well, for a guy like yourself who's used to traveling so much, uh, last year was probably a pretty off year for you. Yeah, we went from the last three years, we did 60-plus races, and then I think we did about 20 this year. So that's Dad might have liked it more. I, I, I went a little stir crazy, not racing as much. <laughs> I bet good stuff. Well, let's uh, let's go back uh, back to the start. Let's talk about uh, your transition from. So initially, you started out karting. Like, how old were you when you started karting, and uh, how did you find that transition into uh, into racing on dirt with the big cars? Oh man, so uh, we probably started go karting. I was probably around. I was starting a little actually late, and it was around 13, 14, somewhere in there. And we kind of wanted to do like the dirt go karts, but Grand Forks race on Wednesday night. That's a little hard to get down to go racing Wednesday night with that at the shop and stuff going. So we ended up getting um, Asphalt Road Course carts because they raced in Gimli on the weekend. Yeah, so we got a couple of those, and we went through the progression ranks there, but. In my mind, my my heart was always on the dirt track stuff. Like when we'd go to some of the national go kart races, they were all walking around, and they had like their some of the, we, one kid had a development deal with Ferrari, I guess, to go to Formula One and stuff, and he had like his Ferrari gear and stuff. 
and then I'm walking around with a Scott Bloomquist or Billy Moyer t-shirt <laughs> off. I didn't really fit in the scene too much, um, but 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 I enjoyed it. Like, but like I said, like if we we ran all the Gimli races, and if I had the option, like, hey, do you want to go go karting in Saskatoon, or do you want to take the motor home and go watch late models in Grand Forks, and then go to Alex on Saturday to watch? Well, we're probably if it, if we weren't racing at, at the local go kart track in Gimli, we're probably going to watch weight model racing so mm-hmm. once, once once we finished up our the go-kart and then eventually we kind of me and dad split a season i did the go-karts and he did the winnipeg truck shows and then if the trucks traveled i did the trucks for two there for i think a season so how did you find that uh, that transition into the into those cars uh, it, it was it was different um i think it definitely shows in my driving style that I did road course go karts because I tend to keep the the car a little more straighter than most. Like I say, like Dustin, who builds my car, he's he's got a way different driving style than me, and uh, he's very good, like just like holding it wide open and stuff, and where I try. And, keep the car a bit more straight and stuff. So that was a little bit more adapting, especially like on the, on the mud and stuff going to ground forks where you kind of want to slide the car around a bit more. But in this, and uh, that's initially I felt more comfortable in the slick where you had to be more smooth and keep the car straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I found the same thing as well. I didn't come from go-karts or anything, but uh, yeah, definitely felt a lot more comfortable starting out just on the slick where you're not trying to overdo it and just be smooth. I had to learn, took a little bit of time to learn how to take the gloves off and drive like an animal, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's still, it's a, I'm still, I have my moments where in the mud, it's like, oh my God, I, I don't, I don't want to like being like up on the wheel and stuff. It's just not my comfortable place, but we're learning to adapt and set up the car to make it for how I like it in that setting. So. This comes with time. So back, I guess uh, you did a little bit of truck time and then you got into the Midwest mod. Do you remember our practice crash between oh, the, uh, the super truck and the Midwest modified? I want yeah, to hear your version of that story and then I'll tell my side of it. <laughs> uh, well, it was, we picked up the, I can't remember if we, anyways, we picked up the car in the States and uh, just got in and got just went to the first Winnipeg practice and uh, didn't really do too much of a check over on it, I guess. And uh, yeah, so we went up there and first time in the car and I was kind of running towards the bottom there and then pulled out on the track and made on the front stretch and the gear set let go. And then I just out of, uh, I don't know, nervousness, panicky first time in the car. I was like, oh shit, I got to get off the track. And then, So I tried to turn off, but you were already there. Yeah, yeah, that's where yeah. that's where I'll yeah. jump in. So before, so I was uh, I had that truck so so nice and shiny. I had it at World of Wheels that year because we had won the championship the year before, and uh, so the thing was just looking beautiful. And I came out there, I was just going to test out a few things, make sure there's no bugs in it. Before we go out, your dad, we were chatting about something, and he said, "Hey, just look out for Austin out there because he knew the trucks in the Midwest mods were going to be running together for most of the day. So just look out, you know, Austin will be." Uh, he won't be super quick yet. And uh, I thought, okay, well, I mean, he's run truck before. I'm sure he won't be that bad. But, yeah, okay, thanks for the heads up. So we go out there, and it was early on in the day, so it was still pretty tacky. So I was hauling the mail with this thing, like foot to the floorboards, and it was handling great. And I come around three and four, and then I see you going, like, real slow on the bottom. And I am i didn't think that you had broken. I immediately thought, oh, wow, like, Jim wasn't kidding. Like he's really going slow. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, he's on the bottom. I'll go around him up top. And then right towards the end of the straightaway, it was just that like whole wreck in slow motion. Just, you knew exactly what was happening, but it was all happening way too late to fix it. Probably screaming inside my helmet. <laughs> You're coming across the track and, I thought for sure we were going to wreck both cars, like, completely. One of us is going to the hospital, probably. And uh, incredibly, we didn't really wreck anything very bad. I think I had a couple tire rubs on my car. I kind of 
climb the wall in a really weird way right at the end where it kind of just shot me up and I sat straight back down again. And then uh, yeah. I, I think you didn't get too bad of it either. Like I, I didn't think it, uh, you didn't pile your car up too no, bad. I, no, I don't, I, it's been what, almost 10 years now, but I don't think I had it, like any body damage at all. But yeah, not one of my proudest moments. Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was, yeah, quite the moment. But uh, no, I definitely remember that feeling in, in that moment like it was yesterday. It was, wasn't a good one. But, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, listening to these race car drivers talk about all these close calls. Um, Austin, you know, you've been in a Midwest mod for quite some time now. And, I mean, the amount of laps that you've turned uh, as a driver in that class has been more than the average racer in our area. Do you ever get... Like, I know you said you were kind of antsy with only 20 races this past summer, but I mean, do you ever think to yourself, boy, it'd be nice to take a summer off? We, are, we always kind of kick every springtime or getting towards the end of the winter, we always say, okay, we're not going to race as much anymore. We're, we're, we're not doing the 60 shows. And we start the season off. We, we go to Winnipeg, then Grand Forks is almost like my, my second home track. We've got so many friends there now. So then, like, we feel obligated to go to Grand Forks. Then, then I kind of say, oh, if we're in Grand Forks, I might as well pick up Devil's Lake on Saturday. Well, then if you're running Devil's Lake on Saturday, I might as well pick up Borden on the way home. But then all of a sudden you're doing that, and it's August, you're like, oh, crap, now we're already at we're in the points shows case. already. And then, so then you just kind of pile up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, you want to finish it off. Then, then you kind of like, okay, we might as well keep going here. But you do get the, you get in a bit of a slump, you're like, okay. Why am I doing this? Why did I stay at the shop till 11 o'clock at night every day of the week? Um, I could have hung out with my friends. I could have maybe gone to the cabin on the weekend, or I could have joined the summer hockey team. But then you have, whether you have a good night, you run top five, and then you hang out with your buddies after the races. It's like, okay, it's worth it. So. <laughs> And it really is that community type of thing, you know, all the effort and time, the amount of hours you put in. And I mean, even if you, you know, don't have a damaged car or anything, just in terms of going through everything and possibly rescaling, uh, changing gears, uh, because, you know, uh, Winnipeg being the biggest track, you pretty much have to change gears for every other track that you go to for the most part, um, especially on the circuit that you have. Um, there, You look back and you kind of go, you know what? even if it's just 10, 15 minutes of an adrenaline rush and all that, like those moments feel like they're just so special, even with all those hours you put in when you hang out with, with, you know, family and friends and, and local and competitors and so on. I mean, that's really what really feels good about the sport is just that camaraderie, that community that you get from it. Yeah. Like, like I said, like, um, this kind of goes back to, I said, Grand Forks has kind of been my adopted home traps in a way um when i bought this car off strands way back when i we just like got such a good relationship going with them that i it just kind of like turned into like my american family like we go down to when we race in grand forks like we always pit together and then we go out to the the bar for the drink and pizza after the races and even in the winter we we try and get down there to hang out, whether we go to a UND hockey game or just hang out for the weekend down there, like, this kind of, like, turned into a family, so, and, like, even with the racing guys up here in Canada, like, we try and hang out as much as possible away from the track, and whether we go in the winter to outdoor hockey rink and shoot the puck around a bit, or um, they got the winter races, whether it be Arizona or Florida Speed Leaks on TV, or just hang out, watch those on TV, and have a few drinks or whatever. But yeah, you gain so much friends and family from this uh, sport that we all do. It's good times. Absolutely. Actually, that was one thing I wanted to touch on later, but we'll we'll get to it right now. Was the uh, your relationship with uh, with Dustin Strand? So yeah, I mean, you guys are you know you said you guys have a very different driving style and. You know, he's, uh, he's, I don't know how old Justin is, but, or Dustin, but I guess he's a bit older than you, but, uh, you know, uh, maybe touch on that a little bit, how you guys became such good friends and, and, uh, and how you guys deal with that difference in driving style when you're talking about setups all the time. Yeah. Well, the way that 
relationship started that year that I kind of split racing go-karts and then dad struck in the States. We went and watched Ricky run his late model at the Stampede and he kind of knew we were kind of looking at getting into the Midwest Modified because we wanted to do some traveling and stuff. So he's like, well, we'll go talk to Travis Sauer. He's got his car for sale. And I'm like, okay, well, my car won the national title. That's, yeah. that's going to be a good car. And so I jumped on the quad with Ricky after the race and we went to Sauer's trailer. He's like, I'll be on. And I'm wondering if it was like someone, Joe Smollett. And I'm wondering if it's because I showed up with Ricky. He was like straightforward and honest. He's like, I'll be honest. Like, I rolled this car and yeah, it did, it did win races, a lot of races after I rolled it. It's not 100% straight. This one might be more the driver <laughs> than the car. And then we kind of talked it over with my dad. I was like, I don't know if this is the car I want to start off in. And then Ricky was like, oh, let's go talk to Dustin. And Dustin at the time was like, I don't know if I got any cars for sale right right at this moment, but he's like, if you phone me like January, February, we can work something out. And then he ended up, one of his cousins had a car for sale in the Devil's Lake area. And so we, that one only was like season old or something like that. So we got that car and re-updated everything on the front end and stuff and put new body on it. That was my first ever car. And then, yeah, we just kind of worked with him all summer and then he kind of learned my driving style and him and his dad Brian have been doing this so long that even though we got different driving styles you can kind of see what I need and like in the car and then they're pretty good at telling me hey you should try this on it 99.9% of the time it's like holy crap yeah that that did work like I don't know how you guys like just from watching me they're like yeah just move this it'll work I don't and it works it it's always kind of taking me off guard. It's like, holy crap, like, how can you tell that now you're in the car? Yeah, well, a guy like Brian, I mean, God, he's probably forgotten about more races than I've ever been to. Like, he's been around it for a long time and just so much experience. You know, guys like that, I'm sure they can they can help you out a lot with that experience. Yeah, if you ever, uh, you, I think he would be a good guest. Some of those old school racing stories that he has, those I never go tired of listening to him with the old school stories. They're usually pretty yeah, good. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely, Austin. Um, we are going to get to our first special segment of this podcast. Um, are you ready for the misfire round? We'll give her a shot. <laughs> All right. So what we basically ask at this portion of the show is not to think too hard about these questions and just kind of give us your instinctual response. However, there is a trick to this deal. If we feel like we are either not satisfied enough or maybe too satisfied by your answer, we will be making comments and asking for explanations for any of these possible answers once we're done through the list. You okay with that? Oh, sounds good. All right, let's do this. Number one, you got four choices. Favorite mealtime, breakfast, lunch, supper, or mid-afternoon tea? Uh, Lunch. Beer, bar or pub? Uh, pub. Ooh. <laughs> Inside or outside? Outside. Tacky or dry? Dry. Victoria Day or Boxing Day? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Or is Victoria Day like May Long? Yeah. That's May Long, yep. Sure, we'll go with May Long then. Okay. Indy 500 or Daytona 500? Daytona. Lays or old Dutch chips? Old Dutch. Duct tape or electrical tape? Gorilla tape. <laughs> if you had to choose between burger, steak, or pizza, which one would you eat to sober up? To sober up? Uh, pizza. Wendy's or A&W? Ooh, A&W. Scuba diving or snowboarding? Uh, <laughs> I, I have done both, and I really enjoy doing both, but I think I'd have to take snowboarding. Oh, well, Eric, what do you think of those answers? That's that's not too bad. I don't think I'm too too surprised. I think the pub answer for one is one that, you know, that's uh that's a lot more suited. <laughs> I wasn't 100% sure like if like bar you were kind of getting more at like a clubby kind of style bar or Oh like, yeah, man, red carpet. Yeah, man. so I <laughs> I mean, I, I've spent a few nights at the red carpet, so <laughs> I've only heard the tales of the red carpet. I've never actually been, so I'm going to have to fix that sooner or later. And, and yeah. Austin, I, I, I'm and it, very confused by your answer for dry versus tacky. I mean, you race at River Cities. I mean, what's the deal here? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I do enjoy that too, but I think if I had my preference, it would be dry. Nice, nice. <laughs> All right. What if, if you were to choose, since Old Dutch is your favorite uh, brand for chips, which flavor would be your choice? Uh, I'm pretty simple. I'm just salt. Salt. <laughs> Give me straight salt, the Old original. Dutch. <laughs> Hold the potato. The salt or <laughs> all right well those are some good answers much appreciated what do you got next eric yeah i guess uh wanted to touch on the uh the racetrack nightlife it was it was a bit funny to us but i mean totally understandable uh you know as you're growing up because when you started you weren't that old still in the midwest mods and uh you know you'd be able to come out and have a drink or two with us but then there was always a pretty short leash and a curfew associated with you there so How's that? Uh, how's that evolved over the over the times? Do you kind of stick with that routine anyway, or are you? Or is that leash gotten a lot longer? How does that work? I I don't know. Even even now, I'm not much one to like drink. Like I'm not a big drinker to begin with. Like I don't know. I've just never really been into like the drinking heavy. But like I will like still like hang out and late at night and stuff and like hang out with the guys. Um, but I, I'm not one to like really back them down and like watch the sun come up that i i i because well i'm usually racing like the next day and yeah i know i can't i i'm not good at all driving hungover <laughs> because that's a very different answer when we talk to the 10w of a certain uh, modified <laughs> yeah I, those guys i'll give them props because because they'll they'll see the sun come up and then they'll go out and win the feature the next day. But there is no way that I've yeah. done that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I talked to Ricky yeah, about but- it one time, and he was saying that uh, his uh, his reason for, you know, he doesn't mind driving, or back then at least, he didn't mind driving hungover because he felt like he just, he didn't fight the car. He just let the car go where it wanted to go. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, it was working for him back then. I don't know if he's doing that anymore, though. I doubt it. But, I, uh, I think that Jesse Tunis has told me that theory too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's definitely done his own fair share of experiments. <laughs> yeah, if there's always it's a rare occasion, and I always if it ever happens, I always bug both the Tunis brothers that they go to bed before me. And I, I won't let them live it down that whole week. I'm like, hey, I've seen it longer than you two. Usually they already had a night in before me, but that's right. That doesn't matter though. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. There's some characters looking forward to getting them on here someday, but uh, yeah. Well, no, that's, uh, that's good. Um, I guess what, while we're talking about that too, what's your, uh, what's your favorite hangout there in uh, Grand Forks? Uh, uh, Hangout wise, usually after the races are done, we kind of load our stuff up and, we just pull out our motorhome out to the pits there and try and get a plug-in spot pull in. And then usually I jump in with uh, Dustin's pit guy, Nate, there. And then we go, um, there's a train yard across the street from um, Grand Forks track. But on the other side of the train yard is a, a, a bar called The Bun. And usually we go there. They got Usually they got um, different pizzas you can order. So we get ourselves a pizza for the table and a couple drinks and just kind of just hang out there for the night for a bit, man. It's usually a Friday night spot. Austin, when you're done a race, let's say it's a race you didn't win. What goes through your mind once you get out of the car before, I'm, I'm sure your dad talks to you, your mom or whatever, whoever comes up to you once you get out of the car, but what goes through your mind when you, if you finish second, third, fourth, or fifth, or even further back, like, you know, just one of those nights that, that, that you were kind of there, but not really there does it bother you a lot? Do you, is there the need to spend five or 10 minutes kind of thinking in your own head on why a rewinding kind of what happened? A little bit. Yeah. You kind of get out and kind of depends. Like if it was like what the situation was like, if we were just like, all right, the leader just had a little bit more on us. You kind of analyze, okay, what can I did differently? Set up wise, how did the car feel? I make mistakes as a driver that I could have improved on at any spot. So just kind of take a few minutes and analyze and figure out where you need to work on and improve and go out for the next week or the next night and maybe get a little bit better. How about the calm down period in terms of, 
you know, you get I'm, you've been racing as much as you have. I mean, I'm sure you've learned how to manage the adrenaline rush and and maybe some of the the shakes that you'd get uh, otherwise, whether winning a race or not. Um, is it something that you know still affects you significantly when a race is done, or is it kind of like okay, I'm calm and and go and do it and move on to the next thing? It it all all depends on the situation and stuff. Um, if it's some track that like I run at like all the time. Like, you're Winnipeg, you're, you're Mortimer stuff. It's easier to stay calm and stuff. Um, but if it's like a big race or a track, you don't have a lot of experience and stuff. Um, the one year we went to Arizona, the, the final night, I think, what was it, a 30 lapper for the Beamonts last night? Um, we led, I think, the first 28 laps, and then uh, Cole Searing got me with like two to go. And, um, I was, uh, pretty like work, like we had a good seat. Like that was the year we ended up getting second in national points and stuff. We had a really good year, but yeah, that, that one bugged me for a bit. That took more than five minutes to kind of get over. <laughs> yeah. I get the shakiness out of yeah. your hands and the, and I'm sure kind of just the, Oh, like the emotional overload. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So that, that it, it all depends on the situation, but yeah, there's times it's like, oh crap, oh, this one's going to hurt. <laughs> yeah. When you're in the car and you feel that this one, you know, it's too late. This one has gotten by you. That's uh, and, and it, when it was right there for the taking, that's never a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's the feeling that drives us to, uh, to go back and do it again. Right. Exactly. Back and get that win. So. Yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be, uh, I guess the competition, I guess it would be the way to word it is what makes it fun. Like it wouldn't be fun if you're just going out there and I don't know. Just... If you're just Lewis Hamilton every exactly. weekend, exactly. Yeah. everything. Yeah, that's, 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 probably, <laughs> right. that's probably the right, the right analogy there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With the border closed, you know, we, you essentially had three tracks run up. Morden didn't open um, with the exception of, of, of a few races that were really low in numbers in Kenora to have so many cars in that class in Winnipeg and then three of the, uh, well, four of the seven shows in, in Kenora and then the, what they run five in emo. I mean, it must've felt good to be in these, you know, albeit Canada and, 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 and with this group, it must've felt pretty good to be running against people from like Thunder Bay and, and as well as your crew and in, in Winnipeg, as well as some of the locals in Kenora and then the locals in emo, it just kind of a different dynamic to be able to take, in a way advantage of when the borders close that you wouldn't normally be able to experience. Yeah. Like it was a little bit of a downer that okay, we didn't really get to run our normal tour, but yeah, on the plus side, we got to run tracks and run against people. We don't usually get the chance to run against. So it was something new and exciting. And it was, what did like made the summer better. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like it was just a different challenge and, yeah, it was kind of nice to try something different. Absolutely. And I think it, it really uh, was nice to see all three of those tracks to put on some events. I mean, we were in seven in Kenora here and they ran, what, seven, I think when it was all eight in Winnipeg, when it was all said and done. And then, you know, the couple double headers in Emo and, and their show, which was on July 11th as well to start the season off. Because I'm sure you and many other drivers were like, are we even going to be racing uh, this summer, the way this March and April looked like, uh, you know, there were people that were already making the decision that they were going to not race this year, but obviously, uh, you guys wanted to, if you had the opportunity, you were going to get at it regardless. Yeah. There was a point there. I saw these guys on social media and stuff. They were all getting these eye racing rigs. Oh crap. Like if we don't get racing here in Canada, like maybe I need to get an eye racing ring just to stay fresh for when racing does start up in 2021 or something like right um but there was a little bit of concern hey maybe we might not be doing any racing at all so luckily um i guess you had the exact dates it was july that we started racing so luckily by july we were able to get some chosen yeah, absolutely. And and it almost kind of came like wildfire too. It was just like bang, bang, like everyone all of a sudden is like, okay, we're going to do this. And it was like bang, 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 bang. I mean, I know for us in Kenora here, I mean, you know, we ran that July 10th event and then the long, the two day show in August, 
we ran five events in, in just under five weeks. It was the month of August was so fast. And then for me, I, you know, I was an emo as well as you for the two day show, what would have been their fair as well. Uh, you know, seven events in four and a half weeks or whatever. It, that's a lot that's going on in a short time. Um, considering that it was so dead quiet in May and June, like usually by the time you're, you know, by the time you hit May, everyone's kind of going like Borden's going, Winnipeg's going, Emo's going by the Victoria Day weekend. And there was nothing for those two months. And then all of a sudden it was just like, okay, let's do 20 races in what, two months? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I think for them, our schedules of running like 60 plus races, um, I kind of had like the car and the trailer and the motorhome all set up to be ready to run a lot of races back to back to back like that. So luckily I kind of had a routine to kind of help me get through that. Right. Right. Well, we're going to get into the next, the next segment of this. So these ones are a little bit longer. This is called in the driver's seat segment. And so we got five questions for you. These are actually the same five questions we asked uh, Rick as well. And I think we're going to keep that consistent all the way through. So you can take your time to answer these as long or as short as you'd like. You ready for this one? Sure. Okay. Which driver have you had the most fun racing against? Um, there, there was one dozen race anymore when I first started. Uh, Ricky Hamill. Um, I don't know why. I just oh, he was really fast, and um, I got along with him really good in the pits and stuff after the races. And he was the kind of driver that that would uh, push me to, to be faster. Um, and then also at the same right now and he kind of does the same thing that ricky did back when he was still racing a pressing car he does he's kind of the same thing he really pushes me he's an he drives aggressively but like he won't like dirty you or wreck you but and he definitely pushes me okay preston's there we we gotta we gotta go we gotta be on it kind of reminds me of of grant hall him and grant hall used to have at it all the time in a one-two punch two very aggressive drive i can I, when i think of a couple races between the two of them holy moly they drive into that corner so hard they knock each other almost off the racetrack and then barely touch and then go through that front stretch. i don't know how they got along but i'll tell you you're right austin man yeah, yeah. both those guys very aggressive drivers like but at the same time you know not not punting people everywhere they go either right yeah. Uh, question number two, which driver did you originally not get along with, but now do, but only on the racetrack? Oh boy. I don't know. This one's kind of, I only get along with only on the racetrack. Who you didn't get along with on the racetrack before. Oh, I didn't get along on the racetrack, but now I Yeah, did. you originally didn't get along with them, but now you respect them, so to speak, more on the racetrack than originally. But you don't necessarily get along with them outside of the racing surface, so to speak. You, you can, but you don't have to. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I thought, like, oh, man, this one's a bit tougher. <laughs> I'm not saying you hate, hate, him, off, hate him or her off yeah. the racetrack after, but what I'm saying is that um, essentially, you know, you might not necessarily be going up to him all the time being like, Hey, that was a great race and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, start shooting the shit, so to speak for the next 20 minutes about how things went. Someone that you would not necessarily friends with off the racetrack, but have a lot more respect now on the track than maybe when you first used to race against them. You don't have to answer this question, but it's an interesting dynamic Yeah, because, uh, it comes from a story actually from, uh, from my brother with, uh, an individual who had told me at one point several years ago that that they didn't like him so much off the race. Like they never really talked to each other much off the racetrack, but they had a lot of respect for him on the racetrack. So I thought it was just kind of an interesting question to see if there was consistency with other drivers who have kind of a similar feeling about a particular driver or possibly other drivers in general. Um, I really didn't know uh, Brendan Lashinsky like that well at all until, I don't know, the past two, three years. Um, and I've, really, I've gotten to know him, and I really like racing with him. Um, and he's really stepped up his game, and he's turning. And he's one of the guys like that. Are, like he shows you his nose. Um, you know, you gotta. You, okay, it's go time. We gotta go here. He's gonna, he's gonna be on it. He's gonna be pressuring you. So, and I like I said, I didn't really know know him too well until I said two or three years ago. He bought a car off of me. And yeah. But, He's really stepped up his game, and yeah, and I really got he's a hell of a racer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very competitive out there. If you went three wide with one lap to go, 
which spot would you prefer to be in? The inside, the middle, the outside, and why? Where's the lane on the track? The dominant spot right now. <laughs> That's the right answer. <laughs> that is the right answer. But what if, you know, if you had to, uh, I mean, you might prefer it, but think of think of different situations in which, you know, why would you decide that besides the lane? I mean, what if you don't really know? It's three wide. It's three wide with a lap to go, which means there's multiple lanes that could be fast. Um, so why would you decide that maybe the inside line, if that's where you happen to be, would be the spot? Uh, I, well, yeah, I was going to say in, uh, I was going to say inside line, but then I was thinking of the Canor race of the, I think it was the first race of the year where we went three three wide for the the wind coming out of going into turn three. That's right. Tractor tires, so. And you were on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe yeah. I should pick the top then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, uh, you know, when we when we heard from Rick, it was very much like, well, it depends on who's around me. If it's this person and this person, then I would choose this. So I'm sure for you, it'd be something similar, right? In terms of who's around you and, and what the expectation would be with those other yeah, drivers. Yeah, yeah. You kind of know which driver this guy is going to do. You just kind of know the driver's tendencies and then you adapt accordingly. Right, right. Number four, what do you do in the car just before you drive out of the pit stall? Usually, uh, my dad gives me a fist bump. Um, I drive a couple of feet, make sure the wheels are centered, then I kind of center my steering wheel, and then we head to stage. Yeah, it really, I really don't have like I know some guys got like a superstitious routine. I, I don't really have anything like that. Right. And number five, I know you at, you kind of answered this question about Arizona, about essentially the one that got away type thing. Um, if you can think of a different one, what would you consider the one that got away besides the Arizona one? Mm, the one that got away? Uh, well, like I have got a couple wins at uh, the Sites Memorial, but I've never got like, like obviously the, the big money is for the late model Saturday, but the Belons do get um, a little bit of a pay boost on Saturday too, and they get we also get a big cardboard check for the Saturday race. And I have one the Thursday at sites back when they were doing like a separate Belons show every day, and I got a Friday feature at sites. I've just I haven't been able to uh, really want to get. Saturday at sites. I want to win a race with a big cardboard check, and I want to take it to the bank like Happy Gilmore did. <laughs> <laughs> and you get a, you want a big check no matter how you finish. Exactly. I just want the cardboard check. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Not a bad call. Well, thank you so much for being in the driver's seat for us, Austin. Eric, what do you got next? Yeah, I just kind of wanted to talk about uh, future plans for you. What's uh, what's in the cards here for you for for twenty one and, and onwards? We are putting together a B-Mod right now, um, and we're just kind of like everyone else, waiting for see what the schedules look like and the, the border situation is going to be like. We really can't decide what we want to do exactly, so it's all up in the air right now, but we are putting together another B-Mod right now. So. The big question for here is when... Uh... I've been bugging you about it for years. When are you going to get into an A mod or, or do you want to go late model? What's uh, what's your your ideal class that you want to race down the down the road? Um, I, we we do get that question a lot. Um, the the dream for me, like I've always just been, I mean, like I don't know, just I love late models. I think they're the coolest race cars ever. Um, so that is the dream. What what the future holds, I don't know. We do like how much we can travel with the B mod. Um, the A mods, really. Um, I got Winnipeg and uh, Greenbush and I guess Morton too, and I guess the odd racing Grand Forks they do. Late models, you do have Winnipeg, Grand Forks, and then winning the NLRA races, so. I don't know. We'll see what the future holds. But like I said, the dream for me has always been and always will be a late model. Okay, is there a goal that you want to get to before you get there? Like, do you want to, you know, you've been close on getting that uh, national championship. Is that uh, kind of one thing you got to cross off the list? I don't know. It's not necessarily something um, that I need. I would like to cross it off the bucket list you know, without a doubt. But it's not something I really need to do it. 
that one year I got second to Skeeter in the national points. Um, from pretty much the end of August to September, it was the least amount of fun racing I ever had. I was stressed out every time I was strapping in the car. Well, yeah, and it's like you're 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 just trying to erase bad shows. So you know if you got a you know a, a third and a third, well that you know that might not be. It's barely just getting into the shows that you're racing at that point, and you know that that's not a good night anymore. All of a sudden, right? Like you're you're so focused on what you're doing and what the other guy's doing, and yeah, it's uh, points racing is a whole different deal, especially national points racing. I can't even really speak to that. So yeah, and I probably don't. My mom for sure is going to say I don't handle my nerves well at all. I, I really work myself up. <laughs> um, so I'm sure that didn't help either. Um, so I was like, like I said, I could not stay calm. I was working myself up. Um, it was the most stressed out. Um, yeah, it was, there was like, I was getting um, stomach cramps, which uh, mom's convinced I was so stressed that I was getting a, uh, Stomach ulcers, like, I don't know. I just think I did something bad that week. By the way, got to give a special shout out to uh, Jim and Gaylene, the best uh, best pit crew out there. Your mom has uh, has kept us alive on some of these longer partying weekends, so she's a great lady. Yeah. Hats off to her. Yeah, I'll give her. She, uh, she never, like, grinded tires or she might have scraped mud for dad, but but she'll be scraping mud on my car. She'll be grooving, siphoning, grinding tires for me. She's 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 all in on this. <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent. And it really does take a family to uh, have that kind of dedication, especially uh, sixty shows in a season and all that traveling. Uh, it, it most certainly can. Uh, it takes a lot of the stress out when you have good people around you, especially your family and close friends. Uh, that makes all the difference. Um, I know that sometimes things can get a little bit heated, but at the end of the day, you know, you're all in it together. And uh, like, once again, that's what the sport's all about. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just something we like to do as a family and both my mom have supported me 200%. So I, I can't thank them enough. Um, Austin, I hear you're a huge Winnipeg Jets fan, and I know that the majority of people who live in Manitoba are Winnipeg Jets fans, but we got to ask the very, very, very best question to ask anyone who's a fan of any sport or team. Who's your favorite player on the Winnipeg Jets? <laughs> um, I, um, I, I really like Josh Morrissey, even though it has nothing to do that he runs number 44. Because sure, War, it doesn't. Sure. Pagosian wore 44, and I wasn't really a big fan of him. So. Yeah, but he won a cup. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> Sheer luck. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's yeah, not so, a bad choice. Yeah, I, I, got, I, got, a, I, I got a few uh, more seizures hanging up on the wall. Of course. Any auto, are they autoed too? Really? Uh, one one is autographed and one is uh, a game worn heritage jersey. Oh, nice, nice. Well, that's not a bad choice. I mean, he's the best defenseman right now because everyone else bailed ship. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. And what what are you thinking about uh, season starting uh, in January? Uh, what do you think the odds are in this Canadian division? I'm I'm excited. I think uh, all the teams are. Pretty even. Um, I did see a, a thing on Facebook that like the states are going to go into civil war over all the politics and stuff. Canada's going to go into civil war because all our teams are in one division. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, okay. I read some very interesting comments about who's better, Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid, and um, someone said, "Well, you know, the way <laughs> one person made the comment that Connor McDavid is in a league of his own." And another person said, well, I don't know, Austin Matthews is, you know, he's an all-around player and, and he plays defensively and the whole bit. And then someone said, the only person that agrees with you that Aust- that might lean that Austin Matthews is better than Connor McDavid is Austin Matthews' mother, and she's leaning 80-20 for McDavid. So <laughs> <laughs> so there's it's already started yeah. and they haven't even played any games yet. <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it, too. And what's really nice about it is that hopefully that'll carry us into what is a a better racing season uh, than what we had this past year, or at least another racing season, no matter what the form might be, Uh, whether that border stays closed uh, or open sometime during the summer. I think the indications are looking like um, end of September is when the majority of the country will be vaccinated. So I would not expect the border open until, you know, late July, if they're going to do this whole vaccination passport type thing, um, but more likely September. So, you know, like you said, it's very fluid in terms of, of what things are going to look like. So you got to prepare for anything. Yeah. So just trying to stay optimistic, hoping for the, hoping for the best and, yeah, hopefully kind of things look a bit normal by summer. So, but until then, like, hopefully some of these, like, same kind of deal, the borders don't open. Hopefully restrictions allow the Canadian tracks to open up and we can kind of run a similar schedule again to what we did last summer. Uh, I'll be fine with that, too. Just want to be in the Absolutely. seat. I don't want to be sitting in the seat in the shop making uh, engine noises. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a common thing? <laughs> It's a so simulator. crazy we get. <laughs> Fair yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No, that's that's great to hear that. You know, it's 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 always something to look forward to. And I know with a lot of the drivers who decided not to run this past summer uh, and got to do other things, whether it was go to the lake or or whatever that might have involved a little bit more of a laid back season. That hopefully they're raring to go and and get back at it in 2021. And I think we're all very hopeful. Uh, at the very least that we can open the tracks again uh, in Canada. And if that border opens up in time for special season, that would be even more uh, amazing. And, uh, you know, I think it bodes well for the sport to know that we do have the opportunity and we had the opportunity in 2020 to go racing, albeit with limited crowds um, and some with none. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for the support of, of our sponsors, whether it's for the track or for the drivers, uh, in their cars or the family and friends that are involved, um, it definitely is a privilege to have the opportunity to go racing. And I think we notice that more now in 2020 than maybe we ever did before. Um, you know, it's very easy to take things for granted when it's every year. And then when things change, like what happened in 2020, um, you start to really count your blessings. Yeah, exactly. And like, I didn't realize, like, taking, like, the money, like, ticket sales away, like, how much, like, the fans being there, like, affect me as a driver, like, going to the races and you go up there and you're parading around and stuff and you, like, look at the stands and they're, like, empty. It's, like, it was a little different to get, like, jacked up and get the blood pumping up, like, not being a crowd, I thought. It felt like a practice, you know? It kind of, or just like a screwing around, you know, at the end of practice, sometimes I'll have a little heat raise kind of scrimmage kind of thing. You didn't get that same feeling. Yeah, especially some of these tracks that, like, for for Kenora, you know, we don't fit a ton of people. Although, you know, for the for the big show last year, which was a one day for the for the Ditter Jacket deal on the long weekend, you know, we had a thousand people. I mean, it was pretty packed. Um, but like places like Emo, you know, that the bleachers are so large there. You know, they fit not just like it, it has less seating let's say winnipeg because it's got a longer straightaway winnipeg yeah. so that it fits you know closer to four thousand. but you know you think of the size of that roof and everything and, and there's like 10 people sitting in the in the bleachers in emo it, it looks so empty and then winnipeg even with the 500 people 400 people that they had i mean when you can fit 10 times the amount uh, especially when you see the crowds in july or august usually at that track yeah i can i can imagine it feels a lot different with less eyes out there said like i didn't think anything of it going into the season like okay there's no fans like it's not like going to a hockey game or something where you could hear the fans like yelling and stuff but it's like parading around looking at the stats and it's like holy crap there's no one there it's like all right this kind of this feels like we're at speed level like yeah. screwing around in poker like, yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's only for the glory of the people you're racing against not really those eyes that are watching right exactly. yeah. it's all the same once the flag drops but uh before it you really notice that different intention yeah, yeah. yeah and i'm sure after right i mean when you get like especially if you win a race or something you know and there's 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 no one there yeah that feels yeah it's got to be a little sure. bit kind of like yeah you want to get all pumped up and have this cheering crowd because i i mean i remember you know some of the great races at the emo fair and you know the bleachers are packed full 
And, you know, I had the privilege of being able to go up front and interview some of these drivers, especially, you know, last lap passes coming. I remember when Tridell Champlin in 2009 passed Kevin Monteith, I think it was, out of the last lap, last corner on the Saturday of the fair. And the roar of that crowd, you know, you would think almost you were at a Jets game. That's the kind of just in terms of crowd noise, not the sirens and all the music stuff and whatever else going off. But just in terms of just the overwhelming sound of the crowd where you couldn't hear the PA system, me talking because the crowd's so loud as he's, you know, getting out of the car. And that that kind of feeling is just, oh, even for me not being a driver, just interviewing the guy just makes you feel so good about what the sport can bring to people. You know, from from a fan perspective, a driver perspective, their crews and so on, when you have those types of moments. Yeah, that's always awesome. I climb out the car after, after you get a win or something and you hear the fans cheering and stuff. That's, yeah, that's one of those... Where one of those moments are like, yeah, that's okay. This is why I like racing sort of deal. Yeah, the highest of highs, eh? Yeah. Great right on. Well, thanks for joining us, Austin. Really appreciate it. I I don't have anything else. Anthony, you all good? I, I'm good. I mean, uh, I feel like I was starting to interview myself here. So, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm I'm. That sounds great. You know, Austin, it's it's great to have you um, on board for an interview like this, mainly because. Um, usually it's very brief, our discussions, like even at the time you spent in Kenora, I think we talked for maybe five, eight minutes or whatever. And then I was on to the next one. And I always kind of feel, I feel guilty of the fact that I don't get to spend more time talking to everybody from on a personal note, uh, really appreciate, uh, what you did coming to the racetrack and what your family did to help support, uh, Kenora throughout this summer and look forward to having you back again at some point next summer uh regardless of whether the border opens or not and uh you know it just yeah i really uh really appreciated that and uh appreciate you being on this podcast and uh, hearing more about uh your story and and some of those really good answers to the the misfire so thank you so much for that oh uh, yeah uh thanks for uh having me and giving us a, a stepping up to the plate and i think you were the probably I think you were the first track in Canada that would be like, all right, this is, I think we can do this. I think we could go racing this summer. So that was pretty awesome. He gave us a, a place to race. And, um, and with this whole show that you guys stepped up and doing, it was pretty cool. I always thought like a, a spit and chiclet style podcast about racing would be a, pretty cool and you guys are stepping up here and doing that too so that's awesome we're doing what we can to bring it to, <laughs> to the top level you know it's all about the top yeah. level yeah so no <laughs> thanks so much austin and uh we'll uh, most certainly look forward to uh, what your season uh looks like come uh, 2021 and, and really excited for that perfect thank you oh that was good i enjoyed that well <laughs> I have to say, those are more words I've heard from Austin Hunter than ever before. So I appreciate the fact that he was able to squeeze out more than five minutes worth of stuff. So I'll definitely appreciate that. And I know he has has changed a lot in terms of uh, conversation. So it was really good to hear that story. Well, several stories that I find interesting. But I'm surprised he wants the salt on his chips. <laughs> it's just all about the salt. He's going for the sodium flavor. I guess so. I guess he just sweats it out in that race car all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be part of it. No, that was a that was a great interview. I really enjoyed it. He was, uh, yeah, it was, it was fantastic all around. Yeah, I found it interesting that um, Brennan Lashinsky being his choice for um, getting along with on the track now, and and I would probably agree. I remember when he first got on the track, it was. Uh, yeah, he was definitely not where he is now. And, you know, he's been winning, like he's won a few races in Kenoria, a couple of the big ones. Um, I think he's won twice now uh, for the dinner jacket weekend, um, which have a pretty good field. And, uh, you know, it's nice to hear from. And I think that's one of the things I like about that question, too, is to hear from, you know, drivers of what they kind of the inner workings of because they race against these drivers on a consistent basis. Right. And it's nice to see what, whatever the relationship might be. It's nice to hear, 
you know, the dynamic of, you know, some individuals that you wouldn't necessarily consider as being part of the conversation. And uh, I thought that was really good. And A&W is an excellent choice. Although I do like Wendy's once in a while. <laughs> it, it depends. If you're, if you're asking me for a burger, it's got to be Wendy's. But uh, I mean, for the overall uh, onion rings, root beer, A&W is a pretty good choice. The too, meal, so. the meal, the salt meal. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> extra seasoning on those fries or onion rings. Yeah, I think That's he's right. an extra seasoning guy. Yeah, I think so too. Well, no, this is uh, this is solid. Um, once again, we just want to remind you guys: please uh, subscribe to uh, to the podcast and whatever uh, program you're listening to it on. Uh, you know, like it, uh, leave a review if that's an option. That really helps us out. Uh, but otherwise, uh, yeah. Once again, thanks for listening and thanks for uh, for coming along on the journey with us. Thanks for being a part of bench racing radio and we will catch you at the next one cheers thanks for listening to bench racing radio like and follow our social media handles facebook at bench racing radio twitter at bench racing rat one or instagram at bench racing radio